If you've got a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 20, please. Acts chapter 20. Come on here. Yeah. All right, good. Well, uh, it's a blessing to be here. I've been the pastor at Oakwood Baptist Church for eight years, so I had four years to take a crack at Samuel. Then I dropped him off at the doorstep of Ambassador Baptist College and hoped you could do something with him. And uh, it's not looking good, not looking good at all. No, I appreciate it. I'm proud of Samuel and uh, thankful for him and um, uh, proud of uh, just his uh, persistence and continuous education and following God's call in his life and want to encourage him. Uh, appreciate, again, the opportunity, Dr. Beal, to be here. I take it as a great honor and privilege to be able to stand before you and preach the Bible. And I trust the Lord will use me and help me today uh, to help you. And I hope that you'll respond filled with the Holy Spirit as well. So Acts chapter 20, we'll read our text in just a moment. I asked Dr. Beal if I could say this. Uh, we have a, a very growing church. Uh, we just praise the Lord for the work that he's doing, a wonderful revivalistic spirit there, and just seeing God do something quite, quite unusual, to be honest with you. We also have a Christian school that is, is also growing, and whenever you have that, you have uh, particular needs. And so we are in need of a science teacher in our high school, and so if that's something that you might be interested in or know somebody that would be interested in, I would love to uh, talk to you about that. And then also we are in need of a full-time uh, piano music teacher. And so if that's something that might be of, of interest that you feel that you would be uh, qualified for, I would love to uh, talk to you about that. So, or if you know somebody, that would be great as well. So I uh, just wanted to mention that to you. I don't know what your tradition or custom is, but do you mind standing when we read the Bible together? And we're going to read the verse 16 verses. So it's a lengthier passage of Scripture. And I'll be quite honest with you, it, uh, there are portions of it that aren't the most exciting. And there are portions that have a lot of difficult names. So if I did not pronounce one of the names correctly, um, you know, don't get haughty about that because you don't know how to pronounce it either, all right? Uh, so uh, I'm going to read as quickly as I can, and uh, then we'll get right into the text, okay? It says, And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples. You understand that everywhere Paul went, uh, he had an effect, right? And so this is referring to a, a situation where he, he was trying to do the right thing, but it led to this great uproar. Uh, one Bible student said this, everywhere Paul went, there was either a, a revival or a riot, one or the other, and that's kind of what happened. But I want you to notice that there were some people that were uproared against him, but it says that then there were some that embraced him. And by the way, I know I'm speaking to ministry-minded students. You, you have to understand this. I'm not trying to pour cold water on your, your zeal and your vision of ministry, but there are going to be people that love you and people that want to hurt you. <laughs> and you have to be prepared for that. All right? And, and Paul was certainly that. He departed to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece. And there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him, he was about to sail into Syria. He purposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied him to Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Segundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timotheus, and of Asia, and Tychicus, and Trophimus. These going before tarried for us at Troas. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And upon the, we'll pause right there. That's been some real exciting Bible reading right there, hasn't it? I mean, real. I mean, serious. I mean, anybody ever pick uh, Exodus or excuse me, Acts twenty verse four as your life verse? I doubt it. All right, 
Now the text kind of changes. Verse 7, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech unto midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he had not say, he went till midnight. He sunk down with, with sleep and fell from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul, how would you think that would distract your service? All right, just saying. All right, verse 10. And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. Now verse 13, it kind of goes back to what we saw in verses 1 through 6. And we went before to ship and sailed into Asos, there intending to take in Paul, for so had he appointed minding himself to go afoot. And when he met with us at Asos, we took him in and came and went to Mytilene. And we sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios. And the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried into Tragalilium. And the next day we came into Miletus. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. All right, I want to preach to you this morning about only one life, all right? And let's look at this today. Heavenly Father, help me. Help me do my very best to communicate your truth. And I pray that it would impact the student body, it would encourage this faculty, and that it would help us uh, to live for you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. I appreciate you standing so long there. I know it's a lengthier text. Some of you are familiar with the name C.T. Studd. Uh, C.T. Studd, if you've studied that or read about him, he was born into great wealth. And it's kind of an interesting story, his testimony. His father was saved at a D.L. Moody evangelistic campaign. I mean, how cool would that be? Uh, you know that uh, I have a friend of mine that uh, I, I understand that he, he's not maybe as conservative as we would like. He's with the Lord now. But a friend of mine was led to Christ personally by Jerry Falwell. I thought that was a pretty cool story. And Jerry Falwell would pick him up in a Volkswagen bug and bring him to church personally. I thought that was just a, this is a cool story, you know. Could you imagine your father got saved at a D.L. Moody campaign in England when D.L. Moody was preaching there? After that, a preacher visited their home and, and led C.T. and his brothers to Christ. Man, praise God for people who, who are personal witnesses and will go in somebody's living room and sit in restaurants and stand on doorsteps and lead people to Christ. And this preacher visited their home and led these boys to Christ. C.T. went on to prestigious colleges, and some of you know he excelled in playing cricket. Now, I love sports. I'm a pretty big sports fan, but I got to admit, I don't know a whole lot about cricket uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I'll take baseball. Amen, Brother Bill. All right. So anyway, he was really good at cricket. And he was really well known for it. But he had a brother, George, and George got sick and was on his deathbed. And as he was laying on his deathbed, C.T. was sitting by him. And George looked over him and asked this question. What is all the fame and flattery worth when a man comes to eternity? And that question gripped C.T. Studd. As some of you already know, it, it just changed him. It changed his life completely, and, and he determined to become a missionary, and that he did. He went to China and India and Africa, and much of his missionary work still continues to this very day. He wrote a poem. It's a lengthy poem. There's a line from that poem that most of you know. It's been quoted by preachers and used time and time again, but there's more to the poem than that, and I would encourage you to go and read the poem 
You can Google it, look it up, not right now. But you can do that and you'll know. But, but you'll, you'll recognize this statement, many of you will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And C.T. Studd tried to live by that, by that motto. I, I think I'm preaching and speaking to a, a group of young people who want your lives to count for something. You, you, you want your life to be purposeful. I, I know I certainly do, and I, I can remember how I felt as I sat in chapels and I listened to preachers from all over the country come and, and preach, and some with great power and great, great ability of, in, in the Word. And I, I remember how my heart was stirred, and I, I would think to myself, I want my life to be used in a great way. I don't think anybody comes to Bible college and Bible seminary and wants to train and give their life to Christ and, and, and not be effective in it. And, and, and I've really thought this. I, honestly, I've been the pastor at Oakwood Baptist Church for the last eight years. And, 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 and I, I really mean it sincerely when I ask this question. When the history of Oakwood Baptist Church is final and it is written, I wonder will Oakwood be a different place because I labored there. I really mean this when I say this. I want to know that the Anderson community will have been different because I lived there. I want my life to make a difference. The Apostle Paul was certainly a life that changed the world as few men have ever done. When we talk about Paul, and if we're not careful, we can also, uh, almost make him into a demigod. We can almost make him into a superhuman Christian. And, and, and he certainly was a man with flaws and, and, and weaknesses of his own. But we do know that he, he changed the world, and we're still talking about him to this very day. I want you to think about Paul. He lived before airplanes. You think about his ministry and what he accomplished, and he did not do that with air travel. He didn't have cars to drive at 75 miles an hour to get here on time. He did not drive on paved highways. He had to walk. Sometimes I wonder if he rode a donkey. I, I, I would not be interested in that. I grew up in the suburbs of Cincinnati, Ohio. I, I've never ridden a donkey. I don't care if I ever do. I watched some people play donkey basketball once. That was kind of humorous. He sailed in a boat. You know what walking, riding a donkey, and sailing a boat says to me? Slow. And I don't live life slow. I can assure you that. I'm of the persuasion you cannot go into all, all the world and preach the gospel at 35 miles an hour. It's not possible. I want to go faster than that. He didn't have a phone to call and talk with leaders of churches. He did not have computers, emails, texting, direct messages, WhatsApp. He didn't have any of that. And I, while I don't agree with all the philosophy of Bill Bright, I agree with this statement. He said about the men in the, old, in the New Testament, he said, never have so many done so much with so little while we have done so little with so much. Oh, wow. Paul changed the, the world that he lived in. His life made a difference. He accomplished great things for the glory of God. I would make the... A statement here that certainly our lives don't compare to his, but I do have a life. God gave me life. He's the creator of life, the sustainer of life, and he gave me the gift of life. And he created me and designed me with a purpose just like he did you. And while my purpose may not be the same as Paul's, my life has a purpose. And I know that my life someday will soon be past. And I want to know that what I did for Christ in my life will last.
You say, okay, that's great. That's very inspirational. But what's that got to do with the text? We're about to show you. I want to give you two thoughts about using your life to make a difference. And God gripped me with this text, and, and I hope that he'll use it in your life as well. Two thoughts about using your life to make a difference. I want you to see this from the, from the passage that we just read. Number one, differences are often made through the everyday parts of life. Differences are often made through the everyday parts of life. Maybe you've heard this statement before, the devil is in the details. When we say the devil is in the details, what we're saying is that there's some kind of a catch or trick uh, that's hidden in the details. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever watched a commercial for some medicine, and they talk about how it's going to help you and it's going to do this and do that. And at the very end, some guy's talking super fast and he's like, you know, it may cause blindness and deafness and one of your arms to fall off and even death, you know. And they say it super fast, you know. It's like the devil is in the details. But I would also want to mention to you this morning that someone has also said that God is in the details. And I think that if you stop and you examine your life and you, 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 you kind of see uh, where you're at over, over the years, it's those little details that kind of added up to something. See, when we come back to verses 1 through 6 and then we skip ahead to verses 13 through 16, basically all you read in this, because you know about Luke, he's a Bible college, you know about Luke, he was a, kind of a historian of so sorts, and basically what you're reading here is a travelogue of Paul's missionary journeys. It's not very exciting, honestly. What you read is it mentions a lot of places, some of them that we have a hard time pronouncing. And by the way, some of you preacher boys, I sit in my office, I don't know if you do this, and I practice it. I even listen to Alexander Scorby sometimes pronounce it, and I, I, I got this, and then when you stand up, you don't got it. <laughs> it's lots of places. Modes, of, did you see, he talks about going on foot. He talks about uh, uh, sailing. He, talk, he talks about different modes of transportation. He talks about different individuals that he met with and he talked with and he traveled with. And he talks about different activities that he did. And, and it's pretty mundane. You understand mundane, that means boring. This is not the most invigorating passage of Scripture. I'm not trying to cast shade on Scripture. I love the Bible. I love the Bible. It, it, it'll change your life, and all Scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable. But again, what you're reading here is pretty monotonous. Here's what it says. You ready, you ready Bible students? It says this. He traveled. Well, that's exciting. I'm getting ready to get on a plane. I'm preaching a revival in Idaho. Uh, I, I'll, I'll get on a plane tomorrow. I, my flight leaves out at 7 in the morning. I'll get in Idaho. I'll preach Sunday through Wednesday. I'll get on a plane, come, come back on Thursday. Look, my, my wife, at the end of the day on Saturday, she'll want to talk to me. And I'll want to talk to her. But this is what happens on Saturday. She'll say, how was your day? I'll say, it was good. She'll say, well, anything exciting happened? No. I got in my car and I drove to the airport before you got up. I parked. I walked in. I checked in, I sat in a chair, I read a book, I got on a plane, sat in that chair, read a book, I got off, sat in another airport, read a book, got in a plane, read a book, the pastor picked me up, we ate dinner, and now I'm sitting here talking to you. That's it. Nothing exciting happened. Yeah, I, I mean, really, it's, it, it's, people say, oh, travel, so, no, 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 that's, you, you do it, that's pretty much it, right? He met with people. Verse 1, you'll see, I, I already pointed out, there. if you minister faithfully, you're going to experience both antagonism and affection. And that's what he did. He met with people. 
And then notice what it does. He, he preached. Paul loved to preach. And he taught the word of God. I love that. Circle that in your Bible. In verse 2, much exhortation. So maybe, maybe if Paul was making t-shirts, his shirt would say, travel, meet, preach, repeat. Because that's, that's what you see in this text. That's what he did. Travel, meet, preach, repeat. He just did that from town to town, place to place. And honestly, it's just mundane, boring, monotonous, over and over and over and over again. But listen to me. Honestly, it is the mundane that our character, it is in the mundane that our character is really truly revealed. See, see, I think in American culture, you know, we got the Super Bowl coming up. You know, we always want something bigger and better and brighter. And, and, and man, each missions conference got to be bigger than the last. And each revival's got to be bigger than this. And we kind of forget that it's in the mundane. It's just, hey, getting up, going to class, reading your Bible, doing what you're supposed to do, going to work, going to sleep, waking up, doing it again. Listen, a lot of times we just think, well, what's really being accomplished? But God does great things in the mundane. Let me just give you a couple of thoughts and we'll build on that, but the everyday is the path we must walk to experience the significant. You can't get to the significant if you don't walk in the everyday. I like this. This isn't original with me, but somebody said this. Consider the postage stamp. Now, I know you guys are younger, but there used to, you used to write letters, stick them in envelopes, put a, lick a stamp, put it on, put it, and somebody would take it to it. I mean, I know you guys still know about that, but I know we're all into texting and, and email and all that stuff. I still like old person mail. I really do. And I think people still like it. Uh, I personally write letters to every member of our church every year. because I want, And I, I put stamps on them and send it to them. I write letters to my own children and put stamps on them and send it to them. Because I think it's fun getting something in the mailbox. But postage stamps. How many old people in here remember when postage stamps was like five cents? Yeah, now, now, now it's like six, $60 or something like that. But anyway. Uh, but it, it, here's what somebody said. Consider the postage stamp. Its usefulness consists in the ability to stick to one thing until it gets there. I like that. Come on, I don't want to be a, a grouchy old man saying, get off my lawn. But listen, how many of you young people have the ability to stick to something until you get there? See, a lot of times we shed that because we just, it's boring. It's not fun. It's not exciting. But the truth is God does significant things if we'll just keep doing it. Think about the walls of Jericho. You heard that story, right? Could you imagine being in that military strategy meeting? I mean, you're one of the high-level guys. Hey, what are we going to do? Take this city down. I got an idea. Let's walk around it. <laughs> I'd be sitting in the back going, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. But, you know, it's rank and file. I don't have as much command. So we'll do it. I'll be out there. This is dumb. I mean, you think we're going to tear down these walls just walking around it? And a guy says, listen, I got an idea. Here's what we're going to do the next day. What are we going to do? We're going to walk around it. Well, we did that yesterday. It didn't come down. Well, what are we going to do tomorrow and the day after that? We're going to do this six days in a row. And on the seventh day, here's what the guy said. The general said this. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk around it. Not just six times. We're going to walk around it seven times in one day. I'm telling you, I'd be like, sir, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but this is, this is pointless. But you had to keep doing the same thing, the same thing, the same thing that God said before you saw something significant happen. The everyday is all part of getting where God wants us to be. 
Some of you know Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, by perseverance the snail reached the ark. And that's what God wants us to do. The everyday is part of getting where God wants us. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 10 says this, For who hath despised the day of small things? And I want God to teach me and to teach you that you can't despise the day of small things. As I see these instruments scattered across this pew, uh, or this front pew, listen, those of you that are proficient in an instrument know you can't despise the small things. You have to do the techniques and you have to do the practice over. Why some people don't know how to play an instrument is because they don't want to do the small things that it takes to get there. They, they, look, how many times have you seen somebody start an instrument because they saw somebody play it with great skill and great precision and they thought, that's awesome, I'd love to be able to do that. But it takes small things to be able to get to do that. Think about it in your preaching, young men. As you hear some preacher that you love, you know, they didn't just wake up one morning and wow, they're a great preacher. No, it took time of study and preparation. God preparing that man and that man preparing himself, it takes time. It takes time in your study. It takes the little things, the reading, the illustrations, the, 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 the own preparation in your own life, the own character building in your own life. And you cannot despise the day of small things because God takes small things and he does big things with them. Now let me show you something cool about this text. This is my second point. Differences are occasionally made through the exciting parts of life. So I said they're often made through the everyday parts of life. But did you notice in this text, differences are occasionally made, occasionally made, not often made, occasionally made through the exciting parts of life. Because I love how the Bible puts this together. In verses 1 through 6, you got mundane travelogue. In verses 7 through, through uh, uh, 12, you've got this exciting story that we're going to unpack. And then he goes right back in verses 13 through 16 to the mundane travelogue. You know what it's teaching us? As Paul went travel, meet, preach, repeat, right in the middle of all that, God did something incredible. Let's talk about it. This is where the excitement begins in the text. You see, in the mundane, sometimes God surprises us with a miracle. Notice what happens in verse 7. The group of believers was doing what they typically did, mundane stuff. They gathered on a Sunday. That's what I'm going to do this Sunday. That's what you're going to do this Sunday. You see, some people might say, what do you do at your church? Well, we, well you know, our choir sings, and we sing some songs, and then I preach. And then, hey, well, you, you do this. What, what do you do on Sunday night? You do something different? People ask me that all the time. You have Sunday night service? Yeah. What do you do on that? Well, our choir sings, and we sing some songs together, and we pray, and I preach, and then we go home. What do you do on Wednesday night? Well, we get together and we sing some songs and we pray and I preach and, and we go home. Well, that sounds kind of mundane. No, no, no. In the middle of all that mundane stuff, God does some great stuff from time to time. That's what happened here. They gathered on Sunday. They fellowshiped and remembered the Lord. They listened to preaching. But it was in the midst of the ordinary that something extraordinary happened. Somebody said this. It's like a gold mine. There's lots of repetitious action that's done before you strike gold. And I want to encourage some of you young preacher boys, in similar fashion, a pastor will often preach many sermons before a particular sermon will strike gold. It happens. So we notice in our text here that Paul preaches till midnight, and let's talk about that. I, I would guess, most, most Bible students think that Paul would have started preaching somewhere around 6 or 7 o'clock, so... Most people believe that he was preaching. And in fact, verse 9 says Paul was long preaching, that he was preaching and teaching for around four hours. Now, how many of you ever heard a preacher? He didn't preach for four hours, but it sure felt like it. Yeah, I know what I'm talking about. 
Some of you are like, I'm listening to one right now. I hope that's not the case. Now, I like what J. Vernon McGee said, a famous radio personality, Bible commentator. He said this, he's known for saying, sermonettes produced Christianettes. And, you know, Paul, if you, knew, if you know anything about him from the page of Scripture, we would label him as a pretty intense fella. I've told our church, if he was a member at Oakwood Baptist Church, there'd be a lot of people didn't like him. I think they would look at Paul and say, man, you need to cool it, Sparky. I mean, like, he, he's, you know, pretty intense guy. And he wasn't interested in producing Christianettes. And so here he is for four hours or so. He's preaching for a long time. And so when you're preaching that long, the inevitable happened. Somebody fell asleep. This is the first recorded instance of someone falling asleep in church. But I'm telling you, there have been thousands of successors since. Now you've seen them. There's a guy at our church, not, not the church I'm currently pastor. There's a guy, that dude would fall asleep during announcements. He kind of had a, a big belly, he'd put his hands on And he would catch me in the lobby and he would say, man, that was a great sermon today, pastor. I, I was younger, I never had the gumption or the guts to say, well, what was it about? I've fallen asleep in church before and I'm sure you have too. But Eutychus is the one that everyone remembers. You're playing Bible trivia, most of you get Eutychus. Who's the guy who fell asleep in church and died? <laughs> Eutychus is the one we remember because that's what happened. He fell out the window and, and, and he met his death. So, as we come to uh, a hermeneutical uh, application and, and homiletical presentation, we come to understand that the moral of this text is don't fall asleep in church or God will kill you. Now, if you're on your toes, you're probably saying, no, I don't think so. I think it's don't preach for four hours or you will kill us. <laughs> I think there's a powerful principle here. And by the way, young preachers, I am trying to help you. The mind can only absorb what the seat can endure. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, said, when weariness begins, edification ends. Listen, I know you may be impressed about what you learned, and you may be excited about what is burning in your soul, but you can present your sermon in 30 minutes. Just saying. Especially to younger guys. Now, as we come back to our text, honestly, falling asleep in church is not the main concern of this text. I'm going to tell you honestly, I preach every single Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and we've got a wonderful church filled with wonderful people, and God's doing wonderful and amazing things. But what burdens me as a pastor is there are people who warm the pew every Sunday, and they're awake, they're listening to what I say, they look at me in my eye, and they stay awake physically, but their soul is asleep. So you're going to preach to people who, who, let's say this, they're not saved. Their soul's asleep. Now, Eutychus fell asleep physically, but, but what about those that, that, are, that are lost and need to be saved and you find yourself preaching to them? But, but how about this? How about people who are backslidden? You understand backslidden? You, it means you're just regressing, not progressing. And, and listen, you, you, we're not static in our Christian life. You know that. And you're going to be preaching. I'm preaching. Listen, I'm not trying to be mean here. I don't know you from, from anybody else. But there's people sitting right here training for the ministry and you are backslidden. You are not as close to God as you once were. Maybe you're not full on asleep, but you're yawning. And that's a concern. 
What, what about people that you minister to who are just too familiar? You, you know, Jesus said some things about that in his parable of the sower, that wayward heart. It's just packed down. Man, I'm burdened about that. We have a Christian school at our church. And man, I've got kids that they come to school Monday through Friday. That means they've got Bible class on Monday and Tuesday. They got chapel on Wednesday. They come back for youth group on Wednesday night. They got Bible class on Thursday and Friday. Then on Sunday, they come to Sunday school, Sunday morning and Sunday night. And man, that ground gets packed down. They get familiar with it. And it's easy for them to just fall asleep. You guys do the same thing. You're going to Bible class and you're studying this and studying that. Hey, don't let yourself fall asleep spiritually. Now, let's not be too hard on, on Eutychus. Did you notice in the text there, it says that he was, he was sunk down. You know, the idea there is that he was gradually overcome in spite of his struggle. I like that. Because that means he didn't just come in, because I've seen people do this. They just come in and they slump down in their seat and they are prepared to sleep. That wasn't his case. Let's give him some credit. How many of you have ever seen a student, an older person in a church, and they're trying not to fall asleep, but man, they're having a hard time? <laughs> right? I mean, we've all seen that guy. It's funny. Sometimes it happens to these guys up here. You know? I mean, there was a guy when we went to Bible class, he did. He would fall, he's like, one of our professors, he's gone. <laughs> I want you to think of what was going on in Eutychus' life. First of all, it was late. Now, my, my, my wife, she's an early bed, early to rise kind of gal. And she cracks me up. She'll be like, oh, man, I got, I got to get in bed. It's almost 10 o'clock. I'll say, Mindy, it's 9.05. She'll say, exactly, it's almost 10. This is midnight. He's ready to go. Now, I know young people traditionally like, like to stay up later, but, but I mean, Eutychus, it was late. Notice this. It was, it was on the third floor. The Bible makes specific mention it was on the third floor, so some of you science majors understand. Hot air rises. The Bible is specific about saying that, that there were many lights. Okay, you understand they did not have LED lights. So what, were, what was their form of light? Flames, fire, creating more heat. So then I think of Eutychus, he was sitting by the window. That's pretty prudent. He's like some Baptist people in my church. They get there early so they can sit in the back seat. <laughs> he got there and he got that prime seat at the window. He's getting some fresh air. He's, he's doing his best, doing his best to stay awake. And as you can imagine, as he tried, but he sunk down, he falls out of the window he does. I asked the question when we were reading the Bible. That would be a major distraction in your service. Listen, some of you guys get out and pastor. I've been pastor almost 20 years. You will, you will have stories to tell. Um, I remember one time, Brother Beal, I was, I was uh, not preaching at the moment, but I was moderating the service. So I was standing back here. And we had two ushers. These guys were old. I mean that with with great respect, I love both of these men. One was in his 80s, about 86 years old. The other one was in his late 70s, getting close to 80, and they were ushers. And so what they had done is they had collected the, the offering. And this is a true story. One guy, Albert, he's 86 years old. 
he didn't like to be tickled. Now, I didn't know that about Albert, but I, I found this out about Albert in his story time. The other guy, his name was Charles Gordon. They called him Flash. He was the jokester of the church. He was always goofing around. And so he came up behind Albert, and he took both of his fingers. Albert had the offering plates. He took both of his fingers, and he poked out. I'm watching this happen. He poked Albert in the side. No, it gets better than that. Albert naturally jumped and turned around. I'm not kidding you. And he punched Charles. Charles grabbed him and is getting on to him. And these two guys are fighting in the middle of, middle of church. It's a distraction. I've had people pass out. I've had people throw up. My preaching can do that to people sometimes. I've had undisciplined kids run around. I've had people talk. Cell phones go off. It's always, I mean, somebody's cell phone going off. Don't you love that person? Their cell phone's going off. And they look around at everybody with disgust. Like, turn your phone off. And it's them, you know. This was a major distraction. But Paul runs down and he throws himself on me, raises Eutychus. Eutychus, that word means fortunate. And he certainly was a fortunate one. Can I throw some things out there? Just my, my time is almost done. But how about this? How fortunate was Eutychus? Think about this. He had a church to go to. Did you know, young men, there are over 400 counties in America with no gospel preaching church? And maybe God's calling you to start one in one of those counties. You understand, we take for granted, I know we do at where I'm at, the wonderful music that we have, the wonderful people we have, the wonderful opportunities we have, the place that we have to gather and meet and worship. Listen, it's easy to take that for granted. This young man was fortunate. And let me just say something to you. I think you know it, but it's good to be reminded of it. If you had a parent that made you go to church, it wasn't an option. You went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and you grew up and you had a pastor who loved you and faithfully preached to you, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but, but you, you had that. Listen, you are most fortunate. Notice this. He, I was second on my list. He had parents that took him to church. Third on my list is he had a man of God that was willing to preach the word to him. By the way, can I say this? Eutychus didn't fall asleep because he was listening to a bad preacher. Would anybody in this room be interested in hearing the Apostle Paul preach? I would be down for that. And listen, your pastor in the church you came from may not have been the, the great Apostle Paul, but if you had a pastor that loved you enough to preach to you faithfully week in and week out and care about you and invest in you so much that here you are at a Bible college, then let me tell you something. You are a very fortunate person. And listen, this needs to be said sometimes in a setting like this. Your pastor may not be as educated as some of the men that are training you and some of what you see, but listen, if he loves God and he loves you, then you thank God you're a fortunate person. How about this? He's fortunate because Paul took an interest in his life. You're kind of gathering by now that uh, I can be a little chippy. If I was in this situation, I would have looked around at the rest of the congregation and said, everybody else, sit up straight. Hey, wake up. That ought to learn all of you. When I'm preaching, you don't go to sleep. God just might kill you. And I would have said, serves him right. Everybody go look out the window. Look at him down there. Now, that's, that's not what Paul did. Paul ran down and took an interest in his life. Hey, how about this? You would be very fortunate that you got a second chance. 
Eutychus got a second chance, didn't he? I'm going to quote Spurgeon again. Spurgeon, who, by the way, had a great sense of humor, he said this. Remember, if we go to sleep during the sermon and die, there are no apostles to restore us. Aren't you thankful? I, I, I'll just testify. God has given me second and third and fourth and fifth and on. Listen, I don't want to tempt God or take advantage of his good graces, but can't, can't we testify tonight? Aren't, aren't we, wouldn't we say we're fortunate that his mercies are new every day? Uh, there's a lot that could be said. There's a whole sermon that could be preached just on this event but it captured my attention that what you had is you had the mundane, you had a mundane sandwich, and right in the middle of it, you had this exciting event. And I just want to close by saying this. That is simply the way that God works. Often, the mundane is the path to the miraculous. If you'll pardon me, I'll preach for just a minute, and we'll get out of chapel. Has this not ever happened to you? Is there not anybody else in this room that has opened up the pages of Scripture and you were taught, read your Bible every day, you know, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Have you not read the Bible before and you read a passage that you have read dozens and dozens and dozens of times before and you've read mornings before and nothing seemed to happen, but on that morning, a verse that you had read many times, it's been in there the whole time, jumped out of the pages at you. And you thought, oh my, God is speaking to me. But see, people want God to speak to them, but they're not willing to read every day and wait patiently until he does. Come on, has anybody else in here said, hey, I know I ought to pray. Jesus said, man, I'd always to pray and not to faint. Indicating that if you're not praying, you are fainting. And so you went and you prayed. Have you been like me? And you've talked to God. And, and at times you felt like your, your words hit the ceiling and bounced back down. Or maybe you knew God was listening, but nothing was really happening. But have you ever been on that one day where the door was closed and you were the only one in there? And I'm not trying to be hooky spooky this morning, but you knew God was meeting with you in that room. You see, you've got to go through the mundane, the everyday conversations before you get to the riveting ones. Anybody else in here been in a service and maybe heard your preacher who preached dozens of times and preached again and again and, and he's a good preacher and you love him and you learn things, but, 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 but it, was, it was that one service you ever been in a service like that? And every once in a while, every once in a while at our church, when the choir starts singing to open the service, you know it's on tonight. But it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes it's just mundane, normal. But then God gets to that supernatural. I grew up like many of you did, singing. I was a church brat. I grew up singing all these songs. 
Songs like that, Calvary, what a friend we have in Jesus, turn your eyes upon Jesus. I've grown up singing those songs. I, you know, I grew up in church. I heard them sing just as I am. And I, you know, I was in one of those churches like, well, if nobody comes forward, uh, where this will be the last verse and nobody came forward. And the pastor said, well, if nobody comes forward, we're going to sing. I've sung just as I am, you know, just as I am, let's go. You ever sung, you ever sung it as well in church service? Man, it doesn't get much better than it as well, does it? But we've, at times, haven't we casually sung, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to a cross, and I bear it no more. It is well, it is well with my soul. I've sung that dozens of times. Hundreds of times. Maybe even thousands of times. But there are those moments where I sing, I sin. Oh, the bliss. And the tear begins to fall. There's been times where I've thought, Lord, haste the day when my face shall be sighted. But there are other days. What was mundane is on a whole nother level. I don't think I'm alone in saying that. My point is, we have to be willing to do the everything, everyday things because that is where God makes our life count the most. But in the midst of that, sometimes God will do something really special. So let me ask you some questions and I'm done. Are you willing to do the mundane, everyday things in your life? Regular church attendance, regular Bible reading, regular prayer time. So I didn't even talk about this. How many times have we knocked on a door and given somebody a gospel track and seen nothing happen? But there's that one time you knocked on a door and you said, hey, can I share something with you? And that person gets gloriously saved. Listen, I'm just telling you, are you willing to keep knocking doors and keep sharing your faith? And keep reading your Bible. And keep preaching the word. And keep doing what you ought to do. Are you waiting for God to do something exceptional? Do you realize that doing the everyday is where you run into the extraordinary? And let's ask a question that brings us back from where we began. How are you using your life to make a difference? I pray the Lord will help us today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for letting me preach. In some respects, just a normal sermon. But God, I know you can do something great. I don't know who you're stirring today and how you're working today. But I know that you can take normal, everyday chapel messages and burn fires in people's hearts to do great things. I pray that this student body would just keep reading their Bible. Keep praying, keep singing, keep training, keep witnessing, and it will add up to something significant. And in the midst of all of that, you will do something special. I really pray that you'd help.